umgoblue.com by fans for fans since 1999. Hello, welcome to this edition of the umgoblue.com podcast. This is Phil Callahan along with Clint Derringer. And we're going to talk about offensive coordinator Josh Gaddis met with the media via Zoom and uh, gave updates on a number of topics. First thing up, the looming quarterback battle and uh, some interesting stuff there. Clint, what was your takeaway from uh, Gaddis and uh, his uh, description of how the quarterback battle was going? I thought I thought there was an interesting kind of uh, back and forth about how all three of the returning scholarship quarterbacks are even, uh, and last year's depth chart is not an indicator necessarily of the race as it stands. Uh, it's kind of what you would expect uh, a coach, head coach, or offensive coordinator to say about a quarterback battle. Uh, we heard it last year and certainly the year before when Shea Patterson had transferred in. So you kind of expect to hear that all the quarterbacks are in the battle because you want to you want to encourage competition and you don't want the the starter or the presumed starter to kind of uh, rest on his laurels. But the reason it was interesting to me is that Gaddis kind of acknowledged that last year, Shea Patterson was the starter. Those guys were backups. And he was talking mostly about number of practice reps uh, specifically, but he said last year, Shea was the starter. He was the one that gave us the best chance. So it was, it was a little different this year. All three guys, same, you know, same level footing and we're not, we're looking at how we're going to be able to divide up the reps evenly so that these guys can compete. So I thought that was interesting because it was kind of a, a, a cliche, a coach cliche about a quarterback battle when talking about this year, but he did kind of acknowledge that it wasn't necessarily a three-way battle or a two-way battle last year with McCaffrey. Um, so it was, uh, I thought that was interesting. What, uh, what did you think? You know, Clint, it's funny that you locked onto that because I thought that was one of the most interesting exchanges of the whole press event is that he kind of just came clean and said, listen, last year it was all Shea. And I, I thought that was really interesting. That was some interesting candor because, you know, I went back and I listened to some of the press conferences in the preseason and even during the early season. And it was, you know, because I think, you know, looking back on last year, the, uh, from the outside looking in, it appeared, you know, to me that Shea got banged up early and struggled with, with some injuries, um, you know, along, along with, you know, a new, inst- a, a new offense being installed. Right. But it was pretty clear from what Gaddis was saying that, listen, it was always going to be Shea. And uh, I, I thought that kind of uh, pulled the veil back a little bit and, and was, was kind of interesting. The other thing that I thought that he that he mentioned was that, you know, it's interesting that this is the first time in a while that they really haven't had a presumptive starter either. And, you know, he alluded to, you know, the issues that you have with the team being dispersed and everyone working out on their own. You know, oftentimes, Clint, like you said, there's the coaching cliches of, well, it's a it's a three way battle and they're all battling and everybody looks great. Well, right now they don't know how anybody looks, right? I mean, you're kind of going back to, you know, a month or two back and, um, you know, they're talking about how they're installing schemes, you know, one per week and moving forward. And But you're really not getting the hands on and the eyes on with the players 
the way that, that you would in most seasons. So while most of the time it is a cliche that, you know, each guy has a chance and it's an interesting battle, I think that, that you know, for a number of reasons, it's wide open right now. Yeah, and that's that's good. Again, you, you want to foster the competition. You want to try to see who's going to be able to step up and meet meet the challenge uh, the best of those guys, not only uh, from a performance standpoint, but from a leadership standpoint. And I was, I was glad to hear uh, Gaddis also touch on the leadership aspect um, that's just kind of inherent with playing quarterback. That That's a big thing that's missing right now is the opportunity for those guys to be leading an offense and commanding a huddle. And, and it's, it's a big, it's been kind of a, a focus uh, between you and I, when we've talked, it, it's certainly something that I, I think has been uh, missing in some of the big games over the last few years. So um, I, I am really interested to see uh, not only from a performance standpoint from the quarterbacks, but who's going to bring uh, some real, uh, a cool head under pressure and also maybe a, a little fire um, in the huddle on the field and on the sidelines uh, from a leadership standpoint. I think the special circumstances that we're under right now with the teams being dispersed, with um, the players really kind of being on their own to a certain extent. I mean, you know, we can talk about all the different ways that they're interacting with the coaches, but the physical workouts, uh, they're, you know, it, it's, there's nobody on them. There's no coach riding them, right? And I think that for the first time, in a long time what we're going to see when these players come back is who really seized this unique opportunity and took this as an advantage to separate themselves right because you know I, i've been thinking a lot about this over you know how is this off season and this spring different and you know the most obvious thing is we're under the pandemic and and you know the students are sent home and the players are sent home but really, when you go through the normal homogenized um, pipeline, right, as much as players and coaches will say, well, players, you know, every job is up and everything is being competed, you know that there, there are, it seems to me that there's, there are guys who um, have the inside rail for whatever reason, right? Um, and right now, everyone is separated and it's it's that is a, this is an opportunity for players to really distance themselves. How are they going to come back? What are, you know? How sharp are they going to be? Um, and and it, it's interesting. You know, I I was thinking about you know not so much think about this as a disadvantage for your team, but how can this end up being a positive thing for teams and players as they compete. And, of course, we're going on the assumption that there will be some type of season next year, um, which, which may be a question. But, you know, instead of thinking about how this could be bad and how it could be detrimental, I've been trying to imagine how uh, this could be a positive and what kind of attributes and what kind of players will rise up and prove themselves and separate themselves during this time. Yeah, that's a, that's a great point. I think that is is likely how they're framing the, uh, the challenge of everybody having to work um, uniquely and individually. So it's, uh, 
it's just another it's another angle on, on how uh, guys are going to be able to compete as athletes and as as young men. So I'm it'll be interesting to see. I think uh, the the cream will rise to the crop or the excuse me the cream will rise to the top pretty early um, because you know the the guys that let it slide during this downtime uh, it's really going to slide. The guys that really put in a lot of work and just to stay the same or, or maybe improve a little bit on their own there. I think there's going to be a significant advantage there. So um, could, could be a surprise uh, on the depth chart and let's hope for more positive surprises than negative. That's for sure. You know, another thing I was thinking about is, you know, when you talk to the players and, you know, I, I was thinking specifically of, you know, you'll read about the things that they would tell John Bacon uh, during his books about how the grind of not only the season, but the off season wears you down over the years. Like how many of the players, when they're finally done with their eligibility, while they miss the playing, it, it's a huge weight lifted off of them of not having to, you know, constantly have somebody on you. I'm wondering if, if, okay, take away the stress of the pandemic. Okay. Um, Cause hopefully as, as younger guys, uh, they're less, impacted and they're less susceptible to you know to, to being hit hard by it but I'm wondering if in in some way we're going to look back at this as kind of a break kind of a, a a way to kind of reset and reboot and you know really come back and appreciate the opportunity when you do get a chance to come back right because um, you know every player knows that they could be injured and and you know, their career could be over at any minute, but you've never had a situation where everybody takes a pause like this, right? You don't, you know, one guy might get hurt, one guy might get suspended. You know, you can think about isolated cases where players lose their opportunity. And, uh, you know, um, speaking of that, that's one of the things that Josh Gaddis brought up is that Chris Evans is going to be back and he's interested in, uh, you know, really utilizing what he can do with him. But, but again, you know, so Chris Evans lost a season, right? He's back. You would hope that he really appreciates the opportunity. Well, the whole team is going to be like that when they come back, whenever it is. So it'll be interesting to see what players grow from that experience and, uh, and how do they, they leverage it to, as you said, you know, the guys who slide, you know, I really think the, the difference in, when, when whatever season comes back, the difference is going to be what percentage of players on teams slide, okay? And what, you know, the teams that have the highest percentage of guys who can, who can come back refreshed and rededicated and, and not have lost a ton of conditioning, um, those are the teams that are really going to have an opportunity. I mean, in some ways... This may be the most, you know, when, again, I'll keep saying it, whenever the season comes back, however it comes back, it, it may be one of the most interesting seasons to see what kind of teams really gel and, and maybe can uh, put some surprises on to some of the more traditional powers. Yeah. Yeah. There's, I think from, from any angle with this, uh, with the pandemic and the challenges that it brings and with most things in, in sports and, and even in life, you're going to have a, list of pros from the situation, a list of cons. You, you want to try to maximize the advantages and the pros, and you want to try to minimize the cons and, and the negatives. So 
the the team that can do that and find out, you know, can use this time to recharge, like you're saying, physically and, and take care of some of the other uh, parts of, of being a, a big time football player at a big university and, and take care of some of that other business and catch up and, and keep themselves physically ready. You're, it's it's going to be a competitive advantage because that's not going to be it, it can't be expected you know, to, to be normal, you know, nobody's going to stay exactly the same as they were last year, um, without having worked to do so, right. The it's, it's not going to be a, a cut and paste year, um, from one year into the next, the way that it normally is, where you can take, you know, take your returning guys and their production and imagine that it's going to have an uptick of, of X percent. It's it's just not going to be that way. You know, guys are going to have to, anybody that improves from one year from 19 to 20, it's going to be because they earned it significantly um, with the amount of work and preparation and and how they maximized the, the opportunities that they were given in this downtime. Absolutely. And not only is it going to be different for, for the teams, but it's going to be different for the fans. You know, Um, there are multiple different scenarios for return and, Again, it's everything is in motion. We don't know exactly how it's going to work out, but there are going to be a lot of adjustments for teams and, and fans alike. Yeah, yeah, that's yeah, a lot of lot of unanswered questions still, you know, and, and even media and and fans and and TV availability and it's uh, it's going to be very interesting. And there's another. <laughs> another spin on what you said before about really appreciating what you've had or what you haven't had. Maybe there may be some fans that um, kind of have a realization that they didn't know, didn't know what they had until it was gone. Absolutely. And again, it's, you look at, you think about the whole culture, right? The, the tailgating and the opportunity to to see friends. And um, you know, when we look at when the pandemic hit, it really, okay, it impacted basketball and impacted hockey, right? But when you think about football, you really think about tailgating, you really think about people getting together. And, and I know that to a certain extent, people will, will tailgate in baseball, you know, before games and, and, and do a little bit of that. But because the pandemic really hit kind of at the tail end of winter, you really didn't miss too many of those opportunities. And uh, again, multiple scenarios for how football might return. And uh, again, all kinds of things spinning around. But, uh, you know, say best case, everybody comes back and they're wearing masks or, uh, you know, you get your temperature checked entering the entering the, the stadium. You know, when you think about the logistics of, you know, just getting into Michigan Stadium when they upped the security requirements a few years ago. It took a few seasons to get to make that a smooth process. You can only imagine if, if everybody has to get their temperature checked. Um, you know, there are scenarios going around. Um, you know, earlier, uh, uh, the Wall Street Journal did uh, an article and um, talking about, uh, and, and this was just a couple of days ago, talking about how it would impact, for example, Texas A&M, right? And... They're saying, you know, they, they did a scenario where they showed exactly where if you could only have a fan within every six feet, 
you basically have a polka dot, you know, of fans in the stadium. Mm-hmm. And and then how do you manage aisles and how do you manage, you know, people getting in and out? It's just it's just again, there there's a lot of things. Of course, everyone is hoping for the best, but um the uh and, and again when we say the worst case, the worst financial case is that uh attendance is greatly restricted. You know, that's gonna put a huge hole in a ton of athletic direct or athletic department budgets. Um and and uh you hope that's the worst case scenario. Um you hope that you know you don't have uh you know a boomerang of, of infections and, and fatalities. But there there's a, a huge specter looming over college athletics right now and uh we don't know how that's gonna go. Yeah, it's you're gonna have to relook at a lot of a lot of things that were just taken for granted in the past are, are gonna have to get revisited and understand you know, is it the best way to do it? And is it still the best way to do it going forward? So it'd be interesting. I think athletic department budgets uh, may, it'd be interesting to see the numbers on this. The the data is probably public, but um, I think as long as they play the games and uh, get the TV revenue, right? As long as they make good on the TV contracts with, for the, at least the power five conferences, then I think athletic departments will be, able to to make it work the gate and attendance and ticket sales and the rest of the game day experience obviously is going to hurt but i think more catastrophic would be you know just the loss of of broadcasting and and you know having to uh having to forfeit the revenue from those those tv contracts so as long as uh, as long as they play 12 games or you know you know however many uh, conference games, you know, for each team and, and make good on the, the major TV money, then at least in power five, um, they'll be able to keep it floating, I think. And the interesting thing will be like in the case of Michigan is, um, and again, to be able to keep the lights on is, is one thing, right? But you also have the point that a lot of extra donations are tied to your football ticket sales, right? So again, there's there's lots of dominoes that that uh, that that will be impacted, but you, know, you can imagine that the problem that the TV networks will have if there's no NFL and no NCAA football. That's a whole bunch of programming space they're going to need to fill, and a lot of ad revenue they're not going to get. Mm-hmm. So, but but it's interesting because I think football has uh, ha- has the the biggest problem with the pandemic, right? So, you know when you think about impact and, and, uh, interaction between players, right. What we know about, uh, you know, the COVID is that, you know, if you're close and you, you, you inadvertently, uh, exchange bodily fluids, right. You know, through sneezing or tears or whatever, or blood, um, is when you have the biggest issue. Well, in football, you impact on every play, almost every player impacts directly, you know, has a has a the equivalent of a of an auto accident or an automotive collision with another player so you can imagine how baseball might be able to play i can imagine how golf could play right but football uh football is i I don't see how you can uh uh, you know there are rumors going around that the nfl uh, or it's more than a rumor the article articles going around that the nfl is actually prototyping um 
helmets with surgical material built into the face mask to uh, to lessen the in, the the interaction of, of bodily fluids, and and you just look and go, well, okay, I mean, uh, you know, the NFL doesn't exactly have the best track record on protecting its players, either during the career or after the career, you know, and we've talked about that, you know, in other contexts, you know, they. The, the Players Association doesn't exactly put the, the welfare of its players always first. So um, I could imagine that they, they may be uh, um, convinced to play or incentivized to play. But, you know, when you think about not only the, the interaction between the players during the game, but a locker room, right? If, if this COVID is as contagious as they say, um, it would only take, you know, one player to quickly infect an entire locker room, an entire team. So uh, I, I really think that, you know, there's a there's a there's a huge downside to if if they uh, if they don't have a real good handle on on either a vaccine or how to control uh, the spread of this uh, this uh, disease, this uh, you know virus uh, before the season. And listen, I, I hope they do. Um, you know, I'll tell you, one of the things that's really hit me personally, Clint, is I can't believe how much I miss that one spring football game that we get. Uh, you know, the spring practice that we have at Michigan Stadium. Um, it's really uh, made a, a, an indent in my mental psyche, right? You know, you know, I'd always go and say, well, you really don't get to see too much. You know, you, you know when you're trying to evaluate players, um, you really need to see, you know, what's happened in practices, right? The, the continual growth of a player. Um, and when we get one opportunity to see the spring game, you don't always get to see that. But, man, what a lift that game is after winter. And uh, I, I'm, I don't know about you, but I'm, I'm sure missing it right now. Yeah, there's, there's just not, there's not enough. <laughs> there's a, a hole in the, in the content world in terms of, okay, so let's talk about the 2020 season and the players and what they're doing and nobody can answer, right? It, it usually the media is trying to pull that kind of information out of the coaching staff. And, and now that's, you know, that, that well is dry. Nobody knows how the players are doing and developing and what it's going to look like. And, um, so even, even just forward looking and, and, and optimistic, fans and, and people that are interested in, in the development of the program, the development of uh, this version of the, of the team. Yeah. There's just not even whether it's the spring game, we've had spring games canceled because of weather or other strange circumstances before. And it, it, it's a downer, but now the whole, it, it, it's kind of universal. Everything was ripped away and you don't know anything, even, you know, kind of reacting to the, what I thought was a really successful Zoom conference call with the media and Josh Gaddis, I, I think even coming off of that, okay, so, but how much content was there that's new, right? Where we're talking about the players that are on the team right now and what they're doing to get ready for, you know, September. There's that, that information just doesn't exist. It's not even the normal game between the media and the coaches. It's just a vacuum of information. And that's, that's what's kind of, uh, you know, the, the, the burn my saddle, I would say, that, that bothers me continually from, from a perspective of a Michigan football fan. 
Now, what we could take from the con from the call was that, um, well, how the coaches are acting, right? What how Josh Gaddis and the coaching staff are using their extra time, and uh, you know, he alluded to that he's watched every every down of every game multiple times, and um, he had taken away. You know, it's funny, um, Clint, because. He actually sounded a little bit like a fan there, right? He's like, well, there were times we should have been more aggressive, and there were times, well, we weren't aggressive, you know, we were too aggressive. And it was just funny. You could almost kind of see him, um, you know, replaying every down, uh, you know, because there's nothing else to do. And that's kind of where we are as fans, where, you know, well, I wish they'd called this play, and I could just kind of hear it in, in, in Gaddis's voice that with uh, – with not being able to actually get on the field and, and actively prepare for next season, he was kind of beating himself up over, uh, over things from last season. So um, another interesting thing was, you know, he mentioned that prior to this, uh, to the pandemic, he hadn't even heard of Zoom, which is kind of interesting because, you know, uh, those of us in the, in the, I would say the, the more, uh, the more real world, right? The the business world, you know, Zoom has been kind of the rage over the last couple of years. But uh, as with many of us who are working remotely, um, they're using new tools. And, you know, one of the things that uh, other positive things that he said is that he's really understanding um, more about how the players learn and interact with each other. Because, um, you know, there are remote classes and, you know, players FaceTime and players, you know, do conferences with each other just in their private life. So I think, uh, you know, you know, he was definitely taking the opportunity to appreciate uh, how the how the newer generations, how the kids are, are interacting. So um, he also made a point that, you know, these tools aren't going to go away. You know, that these are these tools are getting embedded in the way coaches and teams work. And, uh, you know, it, it's going to continue to make an impact even uh, when we're through this. Yeah, you can't have too many tools in the tool belt, you know, as long as as long as you know what you're doing and how to use them. So um, I, I thought it was encouraging listening to to Josh Gaddis and, and times that uh, Coach Harbaugh has been in the media talking about, you know, activities recently. I, I think they're doing a pretty good job. It, the early returns on on the the recruiting class that they're building for 21 have been positive. Um, they still got some work to do there, but um, I think I, I think we'll see we'll see how it turns out. But there's a lot of, of I like the adaptability of, of you know Harbaugh specifically, but also the the whole staff. You know they they tend to be very uh, straightforward with themselves in terms of uh, their own self-critique and, and analysis and Harbaugh has made tough changes in the past personnel wise strategy wise scheme wise and um, not everybody is like that not every program not every coach you know some some programs may also struggle with uh, trying to teach old dogs new tricks but I I, I think uh, it's a it's an advantage for Michigan that they've that they've been adaptive and um, hopefully that 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 turns around and, and pays dividends both in recruiting and, and with how they're teaching and installing um, 
both offense and defense uh, with the 2020 players. He also talked about the uh, how the offensive line is shaping up as well as it can shape up remotely. And, uh, you know, I have to say, as much as I appreciate um, what the players who left to go pro brought, I was surprised how um, how well they did in the draft. And I was also surprised how many left, which has really opened up um, huge opportunities and a huge challenge on the offensive line. Yeah, I think that is the question um, for, for the offense. I, I think it always starts up front. You and I are particularly um, – kind of in tune to uh, offensive line play um, especially, but I, I, it's amazing to me that the success in the draft four offensive linemen taken in the NFL draft last month, um, lots of ranting and raving about the positive job that Ed Warner has done with development, with recruiting um, their execution in all the measurables that you can have uh, specific to offensive linemen with pro football focus and, some of the other uh, sports businesses that are trying to really dig into the analytics of playing the offensive line, the Michigan offensive linemen are, are, are always at the front of the pack and that's great. And, and, and then I look at the rushing statistics for the actual team in 2019 and there's just so much room to grow. You know, I, they were less than, you know, they were in the bottom half of the NCAA D one rushing uh, in, in terms of yards per game, their success rate went down from 18. The explosiveness went down from 18. The, the run game just started out so slowly. So there was another small comment that Gaddis made that really kind of um, tweaked my ear was that he thinks that the athleticism in the offensive line with the guys that are coming back um, that are going to have to step into full-time starting roles. He thinks that athleticism will help them in the run game. And that makes a little bit of sense in terms of zone blocking and, you know, zone blocking schemes. So I hope, I hope it's not just, you know, I hope that there's some, some reality there that it's not just positive talk and coach talk in the spring, but um, obviously you're losing a lot of experience. He did kind of acknowledge that you might, uh, there may be some growing pains in pass protection. Uh, but if, if it's true that, uh, the guys up front on the offensive line have a, a different type of athleticism and can move and block in space a little bit better then I really, really think that there's, um, there's a lot of room to grow there, uh, in the run game. Uh, um, and then of course, the other big piece of that is whether they're going to be able to integrate the quarterback into the run game. If, if Dylan McCaffrey wins the, uh, the job, um, I'm, I'm very confident that he'll be a big piece of the run game. I think Joe Milton can hold his own and at least threaten the edge on the defense. But I think if somehow Cade McNamara ends up as your starter, I don't, I don't see him running the zone read nearly as much as those other two guys. So um, success and a little bit of explosiveness on the, on the run game absolutely has to improve for Michigan to, to accomplish anything close to a successful season. So um, it, it was just so strange to me to see all of the positive measurements on those those offensive linemen from 2019, and it just did not translate into uh, 
into a lot of run game success. Um, they were weighed down just by that terrible start to the season for the offense. And by the time they got it rolling later in the year, um, you know, we just, just couldn't turn that into wins in big games. So if we can get come out of the gates with a, a successful run game uh, through the early part of the season, then I think you really you really open up a lot of the, the other uh, bells and whistles that Gaddis will have um, at his disposal. Now, one of the puzzling things, at least for me, that Gaddis said, as you, as you mentioned, uh, you know, if the quarterback, uh, if the starting quarterback will open up the run game was that he didn't anticipate running a two quarterback set. Right. And, and not, um, I guess I misspoke that not in a wildcat, not that we'll never see a wildcat, but, that he didn't see um, two quarterbacks going back and forth on possessions, right? He kind of, you know, said, well, uh, you know, basically that kind of gets booed on, right? And I was kind of surprised because on one hand, it's like, well, um, you know, whether that's popular or not, if that's what you need to do, I think that's what you need to do. But how I read that comment is that perhaps he's not a fan of that. So I think um, – you know, whoever wins the quarterback battle looks like that that they're going to get a they'll be getting the bulk of the reps. It's just, you know, who's gonna who's that going to be? And uh, you know, again, I keep going back and forth in my head between um, McCaffrey and Milton, and you know, I keep, you know, my head tells me that I like McCaffrey, and then I keep remembering some of the the amazing throws that we saw Milton make, and. And, you know, some in games and some in, in uh, warm-ups. But, you know, he, Milton just has an amazing rifle. And, uh, man, I, I, I again, I go back and forth. I um, uh, Again, you, you know, we're seeing even less, although we're not seeing that much less than the coaches right now. But it'll be interesting. One thing I, I wonder about McCaffrey is because of the, uh, the family bloodline there of – having, you know, uh, other high-performing athletes in his family and, you know, the, the lineage to, to the NFL, if perhaps that's going to be uh, an advantage in the off, you know, if we're, ta- if we're considering this off-season conditioning, if maybe that's going to be a slight edge. Um, but, again, it'll, it'll all be – it's all conjecture until these guys can get back on the field and, and, uh, and we can see how they look after this – time away and, and, and see how they perform. Yeah. One other, one other small um, couple of notes from, from the Gaddis press conference. Um, another thing, his first mention of where he thinks that they can improve was in a touchdown percentage when they get into the scoring uh, zone into the red zone. And interestingly, when I compared the 2019 offense to the 18 offense, that's one area that there was actual significant improvement. They had a, a about a 10% improvement on points per trip across the opponent's 40. So um, finishing drives was one of the better, you know, was one of the things that improved from 18 to 19. So the fact that he still sees some room for growth there is, uh, is interesting at least. And, and I'm glad that it's a point of emphasis because I, I think that there is still some, some room to grow there. The other, the other bit that I think so may have been washed from our memory to, to some extent. It's just how terrible the offense was in terms of turnovers early on in the season. And 
when when we finally looked at the total numbers, just uh, just on uh, combining um, muffed uh, returns as turnovers, uh, Michigan had 20 turnovers last year compared to 12 in, in 2018. So to to have that kind of increase, a 66 percent increase in the number of times that you turn the ball over, um, it, you can understand why all of the other metrics are so herky jerky. You, you just didn't get, you didn't get as many plays per game as you wanted. You know, there was a slight increase in tempo, but the plays per game from year to year stayed about the same. The yards per game, you know, went slightly down points per game went slightly down. Everything was comparable, kind of flat, but, but small steps backwards in most of the metrics. So um, obviously you got to shore up the turnovers. I think, schematically some success in the run game early on uh, to open up some of that run pass option offense and really put uh, some of those defenders in conflict and, and get guys in space is going to be, if you can have some success early on and build on that, then the team in 2020 is going to look light years ahead of, of where it looked uh, at the beginning of 19 or, or even towards the middle when they finally started to hit their stride if they can start that way, then the ceiling is really, really high for what they're capable of, um, no matter who wins the quarterback battle. All right. Well, I think that's going to do it for this edition of the UMGoBlue.com podcast. This is Phil Callahan along with Clint Derringer. Go Blue. Thank you for listening to the UMGoBlue.com podcast. All rights reserved. Search for umgoblue.com on iTunes. Go Blue.